Laura McClay is is really one of one of the patches okay. uh, of it. Um, uh, there are some extremely tall trees. In fact, in fact, just a little side issue here yeah. is that along Lane Laura McClay Trail, just before the Stone Castle, mm-hmm. there is the tallest tree within a city limits in the world. From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy LaPointe. Today, I feature Fred Nilsson. Fred retired in 2008 as Forest Park's chief arborist, a job that he held for 22 years. In the early 1900s, John Charles Olmsted proposed that the densely wooded area above Northwest Portland be designated by the city as a forest park. Dedicated in 1948, Forest Park is 5,200 acres with more than 80 miles of trails. Glorified gardener uh, is really all it has ever been. Um, you know, hired to the city as a gardener, worked my way up into management positions, managed all the downtown parks uh, mm. for four years and the gardening with that and restroom cleaning. And the position at the Arboretum, it was an Arboretum position mm. that came open um, because um, the man was there, who happened to be a friend of mine, moved upstairs, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Chalin, a very important person uh, yeah. for this whole thing. So I said, well, I know all the tree names because that's who I am, really. I'm a plant nerd. Yeah. Um, and they said, okay, yeah, sure, go up. We'll, we'll put you up on a temporary basis. And so I was up there. And this is, oh, by the way, you get to manage this little piece of land to the nor- north of, <laughs> of, of the Arboretum called Forest Park. And I'm going, well, yeah, I've been there, but you know, this is all I've got to manage it with. I had two full-time workers. Yeah. Two, and and then I inherited this title. Right. You know, I don't climb trees, but I certainly know how to prune trees mm-hmm. because of, as a gardener. Right. So anyway, well, that, that's that. Twenty-two years. Yeah. Uh, you, I'm guessing, got to know the park quite a bit. Oh my gosh! Like the back of your hand, yeah. almost. Pretty close to the back of my hand. It was always it was always a thrill to me to be in the park yeah. to go to some place, usually off trail, um, where I going. I've never been here before. Yeah. And it was just a wonderful feeling to always have that because the park's big enough. You know, one could still go there today. I could still go there today and pop myself down someplace. I'm going, nope, not been here. I've been over there. Mm-hmm. I've been down there, but I've not been here. Right. Yeah. That's kind of a yeah. neat yeah. job yeah. to have. Oh, like it's, a, it's a wonderful <laughs> job. I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and so as, well, I'm just going to use your... Yeah. What your title was, sure. which was arborist. I know yeah. you say glorified gardener, yeah, yeah. but as an arborist, your job each day was to hike some of the trails to see if there were any issues, or you'd get reports back if there were. I think each each day was a different was a different day. There are certain uh, physical things around the park that had to be managed virtually on a daily basis. There's one or two restrooms, right. you know, and you had a, you know an employee that had to go there. You had to listen to them what they came back and told you. Um, you know, there are 35 entrances to Forest Park, and each one's a gate, and each one is a potential problem in the sense that that's where 
some public comes to that isn't going to do you any good mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and drops off garbage, litter, and the, and the like, or does something not so nice. Um, and so you try to get around to that. You will also have to listen to uh, volunteers mm-hmm. um, and people that you develop relationships with. The park uh, came with a volunteer named Fran Koenig who had involved himself uh, with Forest Park long before it was a park. Mm-hmm. Um, in 42, when, when he there was gas rationing and he couldn't uh, get, get to the Mounted National Forest to hike around, he was a, a nighttime electrician and then worked on the ships. And um, so he sees this land across the street, this barren land, trees, forest, I'll go over there. So that's what he does. And so he continues to, uh, to hike in Forest Park. And then he, develop, he develops relationships with the, you know, the political people that made Forest Park, Ding Cannon right. and the like. So anyway, there he is. And once a week on Thursdays, I meet with Fran from <laughs> 9 to noon. Wow. And it came with another gentleman, um, Bill Sarwine, who, was a, who had been retired forester for the uh, western half of the U.S. Of B- for the BLM, very knowledgeable yeah. about ecosystems and the like. And so I had these two, and we'd go out and go, where you been? What'd you see? Hmm. What's there to do? And you'd, you'd go someplace. Yeah. There's usually a trail to work on. There's usually a, you know, a, a, a culvert got plugged up, a, right. you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yes, you're just constantly. That, they would have been two yeah. uh, really great yes. eyes and ears oh, to have on your team. I was so lucky. <laughs> How many volunteers average uh, are there at yeah. Forest Park? Well, you know, I don't know the answer to that because, um, you know, certainly I don't run the programs today. Right. You know, I don't have those in the last 10 years what the Forest Park Conservancy has been able to do. Um, and and certainly in the early days, um there were just people going out there and doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no, there's no organized program whatsoever when I got on board. Yeah. There was just, you know, this is, was an organized program at the Arboretum already. Yeah. Uh, Tuesdays was like Arbore- uh, volunteer day mm-hmm. and our, uh, people would show up. Um, maybe and, one time, maybe regularly. Yeah, yeah so some of them, yeah. you know, they still goes on today. Yeah. It still goes on today. I, I was up there for a luncheon here recently, and there was some guy that would, was still there uh, after, when I retired, you know, it, it, so it, it, was, it was good. They start to own it. Yes, in a way, Which is good. So Forest Park celebrated a milestone this year, yeah. 80 years. September 70. 20, September 23rd, 1948. You're right. 70. <laughs> it's okay. I think because I interview Columbia Sportswear, and they're I'll 80 be, years oh, this year. Yeah. So I got my decades oh, mixed okay. up. 70 years. Yes. No less impressive right. uh, when it came to be. But it, what I found interesting is that it, in a number of instances, it almost didn't come to be. I was reading, and, and um, if you know otherwise, let me know. Yeah, yeah. But 1851, the area had been divided into donation land claims yeah. uh, filed by settlers with plans to clear the forest and build property. And after some logging, uh, what they discovered with mm. the steep slope and the rain yeah. is that, boom, you have landslides. Yeah. So that kind of, uh, you know, dissuaded them. And then in the 1920s, there were efforts to establish housing on the higher elevations of Forest Park where it wasn't so steep. Yeah. But that failed. 
when the developer underestimated the fees for building what is now Lee Erickson Drive. I yeah. think it's called Hillside Drive. Yeah, so actually, it was, it was 1914, 1914, 1914 1915 yep. that Hillside Drive okay. was constructed. And they actually constructed it. And it was, it was complete. Um, but then in the uh, year or two after that, there were um, mudslides. There was yeah. rain. And they didn't anticipate that. They, foreclosures occurred and, mm-hmm. and development didn't happen. Yeah, so there were many ways in which this land sort of mm-hmm. came together. It was um, donations. Mm-hmm. It was transfers from Multnomah County and then delinquent tax books foreclosures, either from the initial, you know, 1850s to the 1914-15 era when um, they realized that building up there wasn't going to work. So, uh, yeah, I found that interesting that, you know, we think that it was, or at least I thought, that had been sort of planned all along, but they tried a number of times to put homes up there. And then uh, the city council, or city club, rather, of Portland finally said, you know, there's really nothing that can be done up there. Let's set it aside. One of the acknowledgments that we always like to make mm-hmm. when we're talking about Forest Park is the acknowledgment to um, John Charles Olmsted yes. when he came here in 1903 um, as a contract with uh, the city of Portland. He also had a contract with Seattle mm-hmm. and he spent the summer going back and forth on the train between Seattle and Portland to draw up plans on his vision of how we might develop, you know, the idea of this, what we call the 40-mile loop of, right. of a series of parks around and, and connector, things like that, really came from him. It didn't mm-hmm. say 40-mile loop, but that's what that's what it amounted to. And now it's, you know, if you had to build it, it would be uh, 180 miles, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but, but he saw that land up there as, you know, this is our opportunity to save it because, you know, lands around like not around Boston are no non existence where he right. comes from. So he saw that as an opportunity. So it was already written down, you know, and some people forgot it and some people didn't forget it. Mm-hmm. And, but and we're happy for the ones that didn't forget it. Right. <laughs> right. And he is the son of the um Frederick Law Homestead. Right. Who, who dis- designed uh, Central Park. Central Park. I read and again, some of this stuff, as I've discovered in all interviews, is not that you read on the internet. Believe it or not, is not exactly true. No. But I read that um, John Charles Olmsted, you, and you mentioned this, you sort of alluded this to this, uh, had a number of parks that he had planned. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just Forest Park, but he right. was planning the park systems, park system throughout Portland. Yes. And some of them are still there today. Yeah. Selwood Mount, Park, I read. Selwood, Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor. Yeah. Yeah, so quite the visionary when it came yeah. to that. There was also a gentleman who donated or deeded uh, a big chunk of land, McClay, Donald McClay. Yes, Donald McClay. This was 1897, yeah. I think. And he was he was on the board of the of the hospital which is St. Vincent's was, you know, which is down in Northwest, was in Northwest but now is out, way out. Um, and he thought that this would be a, a respite people for the uh, the people to be able to walk up and mm-hmm. it was I don't know 107 acres I don't know exactly yeah, how that's big that's what I read about 108 how, acres yeah, yeah 708 because so that that was one of the initial little pieces of yeah. land that was was donated yeah forest park itself is mostly second growth forest I read that there's still a little bit of old growth just patches here and there that yeah survived. there's there's actually quite a 
few little patches. Yeah. And Laura McClay is is really one of one of the patches okay. uh, of it. Um, uh, there are some extremely tall trees. In fact, in fact, just a little side issue here yeah. is that along Laura McClay Trail, just before the Stone Castle, mm-hmm. there is the tallest tree within a city limits right. in the world. Right. Is it marked? Yeah, well, it's marked as a heritage tree. Okay. It doesn't say that um, that it's um it's the tallest tree, right? Um, but it d- is marked as a heritage tree, and and um, so the story, yeah, the story goes is that um, I was out there one Thursday. Bill Sarawine, my old forester, we were walking by this, and we've walked by it before, before a number of times, and he would always say, "That's Fred. That's a tall tree." Finally, I said, "Bill, how?" tall is that tree mm-hmm. well so we showed up uh the next thursday with a, a hundred foot tape and a clinometer wow. and we measured out 100 feet and he put the clinometer out there to up to his eye and did the calculation he got his old trig tables you know his old old shoe forester right. you know from back before world war ii i think wow. <laughs> um, and and he calculated he said it was 270 feet tall and i said bill that's a tall tree Anyway, I'm hanging out with some arborists, local arborists, and because uh, I'm trying to get them involved at the arboretum to do some free pruning, you know, you know, and a couple of them, um, you know, said, you know, something about tall trees around. And I says, well, we've got a tall tree in Forest Park, and I says, well, how tall? And I said, it's two seventy. He said, really, two seventy? Seattle's is two fifty-five. Wow. Yes. So, and I said, well, let's go. F- let's find out. Yeah. So on December, this is very specific, on December mm-hmm. 23rd, 1992, mm-hmm. we got a whole bunch of equipment up there and they climbed a, a, a tree next to it, swung over to this tree, climbed up, um, put the tape on it. I was up on Cornell Road. Now it's the wintertime, so you could see from Cornell Road right. which tree this was. Otherwise, you couldn't see, see what tree it w- no. was. And we put the stick up there and they measured, they ran the tape down 243. I was crestfallen. I believe it says chestfallen, but <laughs> I was crestfallen. Well, anyway, a few weeks later, January 20th, 1993, mm-hmm. we inaugurated Clinton uh, right. as president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Seattle had a windstorm, knocked their puppy oh, down to 90 no. feet. No. So we have the tallest tree <laughs> within a city limits right. in the world. Wow. I mean, yes. that's yeah. kind of sad, but yeah, yay, <laughs> yeah. Portland. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. um, as head arborist for 22 years, you saw a lot. I want to know some of the more interesting stories that you encountered that you can share. And then I'm going to let you think about something because yeah. I want to. I want you to think about. Uh, you don't have to tell me right away, but your favorite trails, because it's hard to be in Portland for a long time without getting up to Forest Park. Right. But I mean, you've seen a lot. What are some of the stories that you have? Well, sometimes some of the stories have to do with some negative element, right. where a, a car goes around the gate, goes through, crashes. There's an accident. There's. Mm-hmm things that happen. Um, there was one time uh, walking up Laura McClay Trail and there's a motorcycle laying on the side of the road. We're a quarter mile up the trail and it's, you know, that's a pretty steep trail and r- quite rough and rocky. Yeah. And it's not a trail bike. It's just a regular motorbike and it's just this big heavy thing. And, 
and I'm going, what the heck has got, got here? So I go down, down, make my phone calls, whatnot, and to get rid of this thing. And later on, I'm back in the office, and I get this phone call from this guy, a really weak voice, and all of a sudden, the you know, he, the phone gets dropped, and he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm on the floor right now. He says, I, I've got two broken arms and a broken leg, and that was my motorcycle. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, yeah. how did, I wonder yeah. how he got out. I, I have no idea. You know, I'm sure that, you know, Somebody found him and uh, rescue people oh, pulled him out, no. but who who knows? You know, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you've seen yeah. quite a bit up there. Yeah. What are your favorite trails? My favorite trails, um, oddly enough, is usually the one I'm on, but um, uh, I think because I've got stories on every single trail in terms of for internal stories of right. you know we modified the trail here, we improved that. Uh, yeah, see that stump there? Yeah, I cut that down because because it was you know, causing a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go to the park now and see where we've done renovation work, uh, uh, restoration work, I should say, uh, where Ivy and Holly have been removed, and it's just oh, it's so much, so much nicer. Uh, but, but also, uh, some of the trails that I, that I actually was responsible for designing mm-hmm. and building, and and I think about ten miles of trails out there mm-hmm. I designed and, and yeah. built um, Ridge Trail. Uh, all the way from uh, almost Skyline, uh, well, it's on high, Fire Lane 7, all the way down to the top of, um, of uh, the St. John's Bridge, oh. um, didn't exist. And, I, and I, there's a certain heyday of, of that kind of stuff because when I came on in 86, mm-hmm. Wildwood Trail ended at Springville Road at mile 22 and a half. Now it's seven more, more than seven miles longer. Uh, now than than it was then, um, work had ha- started between uh, on the trail between um, Springville and Germantown, mm-hmm. which is two point one four miles. <laughs> uh, I know this these these numbers because Fran Koenig had a wheel and he measured all the trails yeah. to one one thousandth of a mile. Every revolution of the wheel, it was an old bicycle wheel, yeah. you know. It, it, it was just this coolest thing. The thing belongs in a museum. I don't know where is it now. <laughs> um, anyway, so we finished that, yeah. and then we crossed the road, and we and we worked on up to Fire Lane Ten, and then we we went to then we got all the way to the BPA Road, and the city, in its wisdom, and I'm not trying to say that facetiously, wisdom, uh, really says, you know, we've got resources all over the city, natural resources all over the city, mm-hmm. and we need to assess them and, um, and protect them. And so they, all, they put on what they refer to as conservation easements on every piece of land in the city that had no development, that had natural resource issues. Now, if it was privately held, it had a different kind of designation. So because th- that would be a, an issue between the private landowner and the, and the city in terms of per, uh, permitting and right. kinds of stuff like that. But you would have to take that into account. Well, guess what? All of Forest Park became a protected zone, meaning I couldn't build any more trail unless I got a permit. Hmm. Well, there was news to me. Permits, what's a permit? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an arborist. Yeah. I'm, I'm a glorified a, well, gardener. I'm a glorified gardener. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm the city. Yeah. I'm the city. Oh. Well, so True. anyway, all right. Well, this is where... This is where one of the ways that the Friends of Forest Park, which is the precursor to the Forest Park Conservancy, right. becomes the, our 
our friend. Yeah. And then truly, you know, um, between property acquisition and trail permitting, it was the, the true partnership that we had mm. with, uh, with the, um, with the friends in the city of Portland. It was, it was a really wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, yeah. They could go to bat for us. So we were able to get permits and, and, and build the rest of the trails. And, and, and that's how a lot of that came to being. You're listening to King's Portland 50 Series. I'll continue my conversation with Fred Nielsen in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 Series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution, serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Fred Nielsen. Fred retired in 2008 as Forest Park's chief arborist, a job that he held for 22 years. In the early 1900s, John Charles Olmsted proposed that the densely wooded area above Northwest Portland be designated by the city as a forest park. Dedicated in 1948, Forest Park is 5,200 acres with more than 80 miles of trails. What goes into deciding where the trail is? Some of the some of the key aspects of it. Obviously, terrain. It can't be yeah. you know can't be near an edge, too close yeah. to an edge. Well, one of the um, you know you you always you have you know, in theory you have an idea of where you're going to begin right. and where you want to end. Right. Um, and uh, other things that come and be are property lines. You know, you um, um, sometimes there's private property that comes it, that uh, comes down to uh, into what is what we consider Forest Park proper. It's not developed, but you really can't be building. So you have you have limitations on elevation. You know, you can put elevation spots mm-hmm. on all these things, whether it is a steep ravine, where it is a creek, where it is mm-hmm. the entrance, the access, and and you can start. Um, thinking about uh, what kinds of grades you're going to be doing between those those things, and so that you know you don't want to be building, you don't want to be building trails that are flat because flat holds water. Yeah. Um, you do, but you don't want to be building trails that are, you know, over you know over ten percent uh, grade yeah. because you know we we want these trails to be for everybody, mm-hmm. not just the the mountain climber right. kind of person. Right. Um, so that's one of the things that goes in there. And yes, the kilometer, kilometer really helps, um, you know, so you know you're going from A to B um, and that you're trying to shoot that grade uh, for that. So you started in the 80s officially in, in your role, is that right? 86. 86. January 86. How much, how many trails or how much of, of Forest Park had trails from when you started to either uh, 10 years ago when you retired or even now, if you know. Yeah. I mean, what was already established when you started? Well, the vast, the vast majority was already, yeah. es- was already established. Um, um, so, you know, if, if we say we have 80 miles of, of trails today, mm-hmm. well, uh, we only had 70 okay. then. So we'll I don't believe them. they've been able to add a darn thing since I left. Yeah. Um, um, they're taking maintenance a little more seriously. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of maintenance. It's a lot. It's, if you want to be serious about it, it right. is a lot of maintenance. If, so one of the uh, main issues about is that when I started, I had two full-time workers, which included the Arboretum uh, mm-hmm. for responsibility. Mm-hmm. But when I left in 08, I had 19 direct reports. Wow. And you can, you can think about, you know, the... Uh, 
OWM Friends Group, the Friends of Forest Park, which is not Conservancy, and and all the other friends groups for all the other Mar- the Friends of Markham, the the mm-hmm. Tuliger Park Friends, the you know Leech Garden, you know every other friends groups that actually makes our uh, natural resources and and um, parks, you know, gardens, whatnot, more important. And all of a sudden, you start to get a little more funding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that helps. And that helps that a helps great a deal. The stone house, I can't remember what they call it now. It was um, that you talked about earlier. That was a restroom. That, that was, was a restroom. built yeah. in the beginning. And I remember reading, and again, tell me if I'm wrong. It yeah. was because it's built like a mile or two in. Yeah. And and the thought at that time was uh, that uh, they needed a restroom pretty yeah. close, be- uh, but we're much hardier now. I think what they were referred to in the terms of uh, you can go back to the Olmsted report, yeah. and he, he, there might be a reference in there to a comfort station. A com- that's what that's the word I was looking for. A yes. comfort station. Comfort station. And so um, this is a design that was probably done in the twenties, mm-hmm. but it wasn't built until the mid thirties. Um, and it's it is uh, eighty six hundredths of a mile up from um, the Lower Clay Bridge there, the entrance point up, yeah. and that's another half mile up to up to Cornell Road, which is pretty steep. And so, yeah, um, originally the water for it came from a little cistern mm-hmm. along the trail, and they piped water to it, you know, to to make this function. If you go there today, there's a stairway on each side, mm-hmm. and there's a little A-frame. That's all the wall is all exists. Um, there was uh, one side is men's and one side is women's. And at one time I had that figured out, which is which, but I really don't know. I don't know which is which. So what, what happened, though, is it's becoming very difficult to maintain, you know, up there. October 12th, 1962, the Columbus Day storm. Oh, right. And a lot of trees came down. Yeah. The water line, they had put a water line in from Cornell Road going down to it. The water line got ripped up gone the park department says oh too bad and said no more restroom <laughs> gutted it put the bar across there and that's pretty much what you see today yeah and that is probably a relief yeah. to anyone who yeah. has worked there since <laughs> yeah. definitely how much of the time for uh the arborist the main arborist is spent you know maintaining the trail itself and then you know other aspects of the park well you know in the original uh, aspect, yes, I would go out, you know, uh, three or four days a week and work part of my days. But then I have the re- arboretum responsibilities, right. and you know, take working on that. Um, uh, as time progresses, and I get another employee and, and then another employee, um, then my job becomes a slightly bit more bureaucratic, mm-hmm. and and I'm able to spend less time out there. But I'll tell you right now, um, the man who I replaced at the arboretum, Jim Shalin. Mm-hmm. who went downtown, who then basically is the person that pulls together all the natural resources of the stuff and makes the natural resource uh, department for the for the park department and responsible for that. Um, he would have a meeting, and sometimes I would have to call saying, I'm in, in Forest Park and I can't make it. <laughs> and it was, it, you know... <sighs> Yeah, oh, that must yeah. have sucked not having to go yeah, to a meeting yeah, and yeah, instead be outside. Yeah. And we're still friends. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and and wandering the trails. Yes, I read an interview that you did. This might have been around the time that you retired. It, a gentleman was 
he he had talked to a lot of people, but you mentioned you, he was walking the trails with you, and I apologize, I can't remember the gentleman's name. And at one point, you look down and you see a small chestnut tree, and you pick it out. Yeah. And um, you talked about why, a what you suspected uh, of how that was got there. Yeah. And B, why it's important that that doesn't happen. Right. Do you remember that? Well, I probably don't remember the specific right. act because that kind of act it, it happened a thousand times, say, if not 10,000 times. Um, when you say chestnut tree, I know there's, there's two kinds of chestnut trees in Forest Park, both of them non-native invasives. Right. Um, there are uh, what we refer to as horse chestnuts, Escus hippocostanum, um, which are... Uh, produce a chestnut that's not edible, mm-hmm. um, but there's, it's quite, they're quite prolific um, around, and I'd like them to be gone because they, the, the problem with non-native invasive plants is that they displace uh, native plants and, um, and are what they refer to as ecosystem busters. Mm-hmm. And so that in that place. The other chestnut is the, uh, the true chestnut, which is the, um, in this case, the Spanish chestnut, when the one you, you can actually eat. Mm. Um, there happens to be one planted on Leif Erikson, and I can, I'm going to shoot myself for telling you this because I really want it gone. Yeah. Um, uh, at the bottom of Chestnut Trail. Mm. Chestnut Trail. Why is, why are we naming it? Okay. Anyway, yeah. so. The whole nother podcast. What we, you know, what we, if we're going to really manage it and we see something small, it's easier to do that rather yeah. than waiting for it big and it takes a chainsaw and a permit and, yeah. and, and, you know, so. Yeah. And well, and, and you mentioned that it may have come from somebody who thought they were doing it, the right thing. It so, may have. You know, they thought, well, there, yeah. it looks like there needs to be a tree there, but you know, you hit upon something important it, uh, with the, whether it's a forest management and a huge forest up at Mount Hood mm-hmm or the management of Forest Park, um, every it's an ecosystem, yeah. and everything has to work together. And when you get an invasive plant, it displaces yeah. what really belongs there. And what the other thing, um, one other thing, lots of things I read about yeah. I'm fascinated by, but more than 112 bird species yeah. uh, in Forest Park. It was Marcy Hull's study in 82 that, yeah. that uh, cataloged 112 different species of birds and 62 different spe- mammal species. Yeah. Marcy's a wonderful person. That yeah. would be a neat project to <laughs> yeah. figure that out. Yeah. Um, and so it is really its own little ecosystem up there right. and managing, you know, not just the plant mm-hmm. life, but the animal life as well. You know, it's a, it's a corridor um, mm-hmm. because, because on the northern end uh, of the park, uh, you get to uh, farm and forest land, you get um, to uh, lighter kinds of zoning where the uh, amount of public is, is a lot lighter and thinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, when somebody tells me that there's an elk down on Highway 26 at the tunnels, I don't doubt it anymore. I've mm-hmm. seen it. Yeah. Um, and that's where did they come from? Well, they came from the coast range and just wandered their way through. Yep. <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing. Going back to the chestnut, alluding to yeah. um, some of the some of the challenges when you have non-native species, but some of the other threats to Forest Park and to all of our parks, overuse. We're hearing that a lot when it comes to national parks. You know, Yellowstone and right. Glacier kind of loving these areas to death. 
uh, in a way, urban traffic, encroachment, which we talked mm-hmm. about, invasive plants, and underfunded maintenance. So those are all the things that you had to battle right. for 22 years. Right. When you talk about overuse and uh, what is your ability to uh, manage that overuse so that it does the least amount of damage? And, you, and I was just in a national park here. Uh, uh, I think it was Sequoia National Park mm-hmm. here a few weeks ago. And um, there's this uh, tree that's the biggest tree in the world, uh, the General Sherman tree. And what they had to do to get the, uh, because it's a, basically an attraction. You mm-hmm. know, everybody's going wants to go there too because yeah. it's the biggest tree uh, to get them. And so they, they put the parking lot um, like a half a mile away. And then they built this path, which I'm sure was destructive to the, in, uh, to the environment to some degree. But they built this path that was, that had that had marble in it and it had you know and it was wide and it took everybody in and it and it ca- it keeps everybody on the trail so so if we're going to continue to invite uh, people to these these places that are uh, you know that are, are fragile yeah. then where we invite them needs to be harder mm-hmm. which costs more money and it needs to be maintained and you need to have more people out there so that people stay on the trail you know, it, it's, it's, it's a costly thing. Yeah. As, as uh, a resident going up there, you've got piece of, pieces of advice to give them to make yeah. the current arborist yeah. job easier. What are those pieces of advice? You just said one, stay on the trail. Yeah. It, what it, are the other ones? Well, you know, I, th- I think, you know, you know, to engage the public. And I think this is where the conservancy comes in, the mm-hmm. park department, um, uh, volunteers, anybody is that, um, uh, anytime you can um, enlighten somebody to what they're seeing, uh, they're not just, you know, uh, some people just want to pass through a pretty place, you know, and other people are wandering around and going, oh, what's that? And if, you know, whatever you can do, whether it's, it's signage or somebody telling you or or some bulletins on the outside that gives you, you know, what is this, you know, um, Trilliums are just, you know, one of the most, you know, they, they only, they're only in flower for two weeks a year. Yeah. Uh, but in that two weeks, you have, you know, you have an opportunity to, to educate people about how to do that. So other times a year, you know, so what is it about fall color? What is it about fruit and what, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I have this, I have this thing going right now and I have had for years is that really spring starts in the fall. If we get that first fall rain, mm-hmm. and you can actually go out and see seedlings. Now, these seedlings of of Claytonia and and, and other little plants aren't going to flower until next spring, but this is when they germinate. Yeah, and they'll send up a little sprout, and it'll sit there all winter long and wait for the warm weather, you know, to February to start to grow in March, and then they'll be doing their thing and in 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 April, and then die. Yeah. you know, go to seed and die, you know. There's at whatever time of year you've got, you can elicit something uh, to the folks that are there that, you know. There's some magic going on. Magic is, is magic uh, gives them um, an idea of why you want to stay on the trail. Mm -hmm. If that's all it is, is staying on the trail. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it starts young. You know, I remember hiking with my boys when they were much younger and constantly reminded, stay on the trail. Why? Why? Well, this is why. Yeah. And I would say the parts off the trail belong to the animals. Yeah. That's their house. Yeah. And this is where we stay. I'm, 
I've gone, on, I've gone on a few hikes and walks with my grandchildren. Oh, yeah. Um, and to hear my daughter um, be gentle with their kids about staying on the trail, it, boy, talk about a heart, you know, a heart throb break, you know, right. just to hear that. Right. <laughs> How you've been retired for 10 years. Uh, what do you miss about the job? I think the people outside. What I don't miss is the bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it got, it got, and I, I go back now and I can talk to the folks there and, and, and they say, well, you know, it's not like the old days. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like the good old days, uh, but it's also, but it is nice to, 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 to talk to people yeah. in a, and, 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 and see these places again, you know, and I, and it doesn't really matter uh, where I'm at. It could be my, what I was responsible for, mm-hmm. or it could be other other places too, because all other parks, other gardens, all have histories, yeah. and we do we do fit in, and we do, or either fit in in a big way, or we fit in just as a peripheral outsider. You know, you can ask questions, and I was just in this, another national park, and I, I found. A forester, I could ask a question, and you know, he, he kind of got the idea. I knew something, and we just had a great time. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. How often do you get to Forest Park? Oh, probably not at the office. Yeah. My um, you know, the grandchildren take up right. mine, you know. It's not I, a bad problem. No, 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 it's not a bad problem at all. Um, but you know, several times, three or four times a year. That's nice. Uh, and, and you know, where are you going to go? Well, you throw a dart at the map, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The future of Forest Park, it's been around for 70 years. What do you see? More trails connecting? I mean, we talked about the, the 40 miles. Yeah. I don't really see... Much uh, change? I don't see a lot of change. I do see a number of trails um, becoming improved, mm-hmm. becoming more hard. Um, at some point or other, Metro um, and, and the communities uh, around the community are going to figure out how to get a trail from Shampui State Park all the way up um, yeah. the backside of which a lot of it exists already. And when it, when it gets far enough north, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do the most difficult thing is gain that elevation to get up to Skyline. Right. And we've got um, uh, uh, Saltzman Road is going to be the designated uh, way to get from down, which is an existing road. Exactly. Um, you don't really have to do much, except you have to fix up Salzman Road a bit, but yeah. nicer than it is. Yeah. So when you get to the bottom, you're gonna ha- you're gonna be walking across that uh, industrial land, which is now industrial land. You know, so I can see improvements there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that railroad bridge down there, uh, which is this side of the St. John's Bridge, is supposed yeah. to, in maybe not my lifetime, uh, get a get a, uh, a a pathway hung off the side of it. So it'll, you know, that'll be the connector, you know. So what, you know, the future of, of improvements is how, that's how I see it. I don't yeah. really see in, in new trails. Yeah. I see some little beats of, beats of properties, it'll, you know, come, come in to help solidify the borders. But I think that the, uh, the conservancy is going right now um, with this um, greater forest park conservation i'm going to get the names wrong yeah. here um what they're trying to do is work with all the property owners and all the um other entities whether it's metro or audubon society and the list is quite long quite mm-hmm. long of, of how it is we can start managing because you know the you know we can work on managing forest park um which is great and it's 
a whole lot better than it used to be. There's a whole lot less ivy and a whole lot less yeah. holly, and we've got a long ways to go. Right. Um, but it's but where does that stuff come from in some cases? It comes from the outside. And how do you manage all these private lands around the outside so that you know they're not doing negative things to the park itself? Right. Uh, my son and I were up there a couple of months ago, and the little boot scraper. Oh, I yeah. I scraped my uh, the bottom of my shoes before we yeah. went on the trail. And he asked me why I was doing that, and I explained, yeah. when you're coming from, because we live in southeast by Mount mm-hmm. Tabor, you know, when you're coming from different areas, you're bringing, you know, you don't know yeah. what's in there, seeds or right. what have you. You brush off your boots, the bottom of your shoes, and then, you know, you can do it on the way out too. But he was fascinated by that because it hadn't even dawned on. Well, you know, it's an e- also an education thing. So mm-hmm. that to it, to understand that that could happen, yeah. uh, the likelihood of it really happening, yeah, it's not yeah. so, but, but it's the education. Yeah. Um, you know, we started, uh, the. Um, I didn't actually start it, but I did start the no Ivy league, you know, by going so, and you think about what they were able to do with hiring, um, uh, kids to work in the summertime to go pull some Ivy and whatnot, probably didn't do a lot, but what they did do is those kids went home and they told their mom and dad, Ivy is not such a good plant. And pretty soon Ivy starts going away. And pretty soon we find that Ivy is now a listed in this, as in the state of Oregon as a non-native invasive. And so yeah. you can't buy ivy. And, uh, you know, so it's the education. It's, it's planting some, those seeds. Yeah, it's planting those seeds. And yeah. so then when you, when you get that, and all of a sudden some resources, some dollar resources comes around that you're able to hire some pros yeah. to go out and actually do some, some real work. But, but, but never, ever discount what volunteers can do because mm-hmm. they do so much more than the actual physical work. They take that message yeah. back. Yes. Yeah, it's all about planting those seeds. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Fred, thank you so much for yeah. coming in today. Well, it's been fun. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for my conversation with Fred Nielsen. If you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website at kink.fm. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Portland 50 podcast wherever you're listening. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating Kink's 50th anniversary. And it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution, serving our community since 1950.